0: that Jesus told to his disciples and his followers and all who would listen is really about what we do with what we have. And it's not just a monetary lesson, although clearly there are monetary implications here. It's about anything that God entrusts into our care, from the very life that we live each day, to the monetary resources, to the material goods that we have, to the various talents and gifts and graces that God has endowed each of us with to the way in which we even spend our time, as precious a commodity as that is. Those are all things that this parable speaks to for the modern Christian. And I want to review with you real quick what we're talking about here. So in biblical terms, a talent is 15 years worth of a laborer's wage. So all of these calculations were done with my annual salary, $50,000, So one talent, 50,000 times 15 years, is three-quarters of a million dollars. But one slave had received five talents, $3,750,000, $100,000. One had received two talents, which was $1.5 million. And of course, the other had received the one talent of three-quarters of a million dollars. But by the end of our story... The one who had received the five not only had made another five for ten, but then received the other talent. His grand total came to $8,250,000. And so when we look at this, we realize that what God is telling us is that if we are willing to use what God has given us, not only will we be successful. We will be abundantly so and successful by God's terms, not necessarily worldly terms, but what God would have us do. And so as we look forward, not only to a new year by the secular calendar, but Advent and Christmas mark the new year by the Christian calendar, it's time for us to look and decide what we will do this year. What is it that God is calling us to do as individual Christians and disciples of Jesus Christ? But even more importantly, what is God calling us to do as this body of Christ? This church, Crozet United Methodist Church, what are we being called to do? And part of what we learn throughout the scriptures is that success on God's terms is about doing what God asks not doing it flawlessly or perfectly or never wandering from the path or sometimes slipping beneath the water, but instead realizing that the commitment, when the commitment was there and the follow-through on the behalf of those who were believers in God, ultimately, they did succeed. Let's look at Moses. Moses is a perfect example because unlike most of us, Moses was a murderer. And so Moses, who had sunk to a complete. Completely depraved level in murdering another human being, fled was out on a warrant. They were seeking his arrest, and was living in Midian and had started a life there. Was approached by God in the form of a burning bush and asked to do this thing. I have a job for you," says God. And Moses, who is rather enraptured by the burning but not being consumed bush, stays and listens to the proposal. And the proposal is this. I want you to go back to Egypt where you fled, where you committed a capital crime and you're wanted for capital murder. And I would like for you to go back there and greet my almost half a million people and bring them here to me. And Moses came up with five really good reasons why he should not do what God asked him to do. I'm not going to go over all of them with you because that would just take all the fun out of Exodus. But I can tell you this. The last one, his last excuse is this. I don't want to do it. Send somebody else. I think that's an excuse most every Christian has uttered at some point in their lives. I don't want to do this. God, send somebody else. But what God is telling us, even in this parable, is I'm not sending somebody else. I'm sending you. I have made you. I have molded you. I have crafted you. According to the Old Testament, I knitted you together in your mother's womb, and I am sending you. And so when Moses got back to Egypt, and it took a lot of chutzpah just to get back into Egypt, he got back there, and he looked at these people, and they weren't exactly happy that he was there. I mean, they didn't like their bondage, but they didn't like his idea. Let's go out in the wilderness and wander. Yay. Nobody liked his idea, and nobody really liked him. He wasn't a great public speaker. And so this whole thing was just on a downhill cycle right from the beginning. But Moses didn't get in front of all those people and go, no, I'm out. Instead, he did it. He did it, and it was hard, and it was agonizing, and it turned out to be more than just a three-year stint, you know, like we do in the church. It was more of like a 43-year stint (laughs) in the church. And so he did it. And at the end of it, at the end of his life, the people were right on the other side of the Jordan and ready to enter into the promised land. That's the lesson about doing what God tells you to do and taking what God entrusts to your care. God gave Moses incredible power and authority, gave him this staff that could turn into a snake that could part the waters, gave him a staff that you could slam a rock with it and water would flow forth. I mean, do you know how much you can make in the Middle East with that kind of technology? (laughs) He gave him everything he needed to be worldly successful worldly successful, and Moses served God instead. And it was hard, and there were people that complained, and I know that this is like an ancient paradigm, and I know people don't complain anymore in the church. But, you know, just try to get back there for a minute where not everybody agrees, and not everybody's, like, thrilled with what you're doing. And so instead, what happened was, Moses was committed to the vision, and the vision was this. I am the Lord, the God of Israel, and you will bring my people out of bondage, and you will bring them here to this mountain, and they will worship me here. That's the vision. That was the vision. You will do this. I'm giving you everything you need. Bring my people to me. And Moses did it. And he was ill equipped as far as just who he was without the power and the presence of God. He was a stutterer, he was a felon, he was a murderer. He was everything that no Christian wants to put on their resume. And he was one of the best of us. He was able to do it because he clung to the vision and he clung to his faith in the God who sent him. And we are called to nothing less today. Next year, in 2018, we will launch a third worship service. That's an incredible endeavor. It will be an insane amount of work and planning and preparation and financial undertaking. It will require new staffing. It will require all of this church to come together and to commit to one single vision. And that is telling the world about Jesus Christ. That is the vision. Telling the world about Jesus Christ. I believe Jesus told us that we had to do this in matthew i believe jesus said this i'm leaving you but i want you to go therefore and baptize all the nations and tell them about who i am teaching them everything that i have taught you and do all of this in the name of the father son and holy spirit and i am with you to the end of the age and so we who have come almost two thousand years later receive that same vision go forth and tell all the people Now, some churches, they look at the person wearing the stole and go, you go tell them. (laughs) Blessedly, you're not that church. Instead, God has said that every single one of us here has a role to play in whether or not we fulfill our vision. Some of us support it with our giving. Some of us might support it with our presence. All of us should support it with our prayers because at the end of the day, what Jesus was telling us, and what he finally said to all his disciples, and especially Peter, after he was resurrected, as they were eating a breakfast, he looked over at them and they said, If you love me, you will feed my lambs. If you love me, if your faith is true, if your heart is right, you will feed my lambs. You will not find excuses, you will not double book yourself, you will not. Go on vacation. You will not retire from this. You will be committed for your life to feeding my lambs. And he wasn't just talking about with food. We should feed people with food. We should feed them in their hearts so that they know that they are loved and forgiven and free. We should feed them in their spirit so that they know that the gospel truth is for them. But most assuredly, as the body of Christ in this context of Christianity, we should feed them with worship. We should feed them with being in the presence of God Almighty. And God resides here. I don't know how that works. I'm not an astrophysicist. But I can tell you that God says repeatedly in the scriptures, when you sanctify space and you invite me in, I am here. And so as we have invited God to dwell in this space, God, in some way, in some form, some part, is here 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, 366 only beers. God is always here. And if you don't believe me, come back here when there's nobody in this room. Come back here when there's no one in this room and tell me that you don't feel that there is something here with you. We are called to let people encounter this. Far too many religions throughout the duration of of history forget Forget Judaism and Christianity and Islam. Before all of that, far too many religions said there's a place that you can't go and that's where the divine dwells. But God has torn down those barriers and says, I welcome you into my home. I welcome you in. And if I welcome you in, then bring your family, bring your friends, bring your neighbors, bring your enemies. Bring them all. Bring them here to me. And the same vision that God placed upon the heart of Moses. A bring my people here to worship me. God is placing in our hearts this day. That there are people. Children. Teenagers. Adults of all ages. Across all the socioeconomic spectrum. People in Crozet. Who are invited here. It's not our invitation. It's God's. We are but the couriers. And if we are willing to take that vision, the same one that was placed on the heart of Moses of bring my people here to worship me, then God will make it so. I'm not going to tell you that we're not going to have audiovisual issues. I'm not going to tell you that there aren't going to be times where the space will be too cold or too hot. I'm not going to tell you that there aren't going to be times where weird, bizarre things happen because there will be. However, I will tell you That at the end of our lives, we will be able to look back on all that was accomplished to bring honor and glory to God and know that we were a good and faithful slave. We will be able to look back and say with assurance that God, we served you. Because at the end of our life, as we're looking back, we know that the next thing will be to stand before the throne. And none of us could stand before the throne if it weren't for the grace of God none of us it's only god's grace that makes it even possible for us to stand however god is telling us that if you want to stand before the throne and then sit at the table in the kingdom to come then you must do these things that i ask you to do you must care for what i give to you and the first two slaves did that in their own way they did that they were faithful for what they had received I'm sure they were fearful. I'm sure they were afraid. I'm sure there were times as they were increasing and doubling what they had been given, that there were moments of loss. There were moments of trepidation. There were times where they thought to themselves, I don't know if this is going to work in the end. What if I come back and I'm actually at less than what God gave me? But it didn't matter because they still did it. They still went forward. Nothing in the church works perfectly. Nothing. I've raised in the church. I work for the church. Nothing in the church works perfectly. But I can tell you this. God is perfect. And God's love and God's grace and God's presence with God's people is perfect. And if we are willing to be conduits of that, if we are willing to be faithful to the vision of creating encounters for God and God's people, then nothing will stop us. Nothing can stop us. The building could burn down and we would still meet. They can threaten our lives. People have come into churches and taken lives and that will not stop us from doing what we are to do. We are a people who are committed until the last breath in our body. It's the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is that nothing will stop us from doing what we do, not the naysayers, not the finance sheets, not the Sunday morning attendance, not the football schedule, nothing, nothing. I know where you live. (laughs) Nothing will stop us. The stakes are high, brothers and sisters. It is important. There are people all in this area who have no idea that they are forgiven, love, and free. And is that not the greatest tragedy of the human condition? Not to know that your creator, your maker, your redeemer, and your sustainer knows you and loves you. We cannot squander that truth. God, in Christ Jesus, told us to tell it. And we will. And we will tell it in our own way, We will tell it in a way that is most appropriate to whatever the context is. But we shall speak it. We shall live it. We shall love it into being. Because there is no greater calling. And if we think to ourselves, we can get lost in the trap in the parable of going, well, you know, if I had what the guy with the five talents had, I could have done a lot more Jesus. I'm just saying. You know, if you would have given me all the resources of Beyonce, it be a whole other Crozet United Methodist Church. But we can't do that. We can't have, you know, we don't sit around at trustee meetings and go, you know, if we had that salary of Tom Brady, just imagine what we'd be doing. That's not what we're called to do. Instead, we're called to say, here I am, what do I have, and how can I use it to accomplish the mission?" And the mission is always about people. The mission is not about numbers. It's not about facts and figures. It's about people. Those numbers and those facts and figures, they boil down to how many people are we blessing with the gospel? And I have been in churches where it looks very different. You mean, I have been in churches where they say, nope, the food pantry's closed and we're not feeding you. You'll have to come back next week. I have been in churches that have said that. I have been in churches where someone new comes in and people say, no, you can't sit here. Honey, give me your purse. She can't sit here. I have been in those churches. I have also been in churches where people in their darkest moment and their darkest hour of desperation call the church and the church says, we can't help you. I have seen that. And this is not that church. This is a church that not only feeds people every single week on Mondays, but we feed them huge amounts of food on the third Saturday distribution, and we keep extra boxes in the front office for moments of extreme need in between all of those opportunities. This is a church that says, we were called to feed the hungry, and by God we shall feed the hungry. This is also a church that on its highest holy day of Easter... At the 11 o'clock worship service, when there were more people in here than the fire marshal would ever let us get away with, made room for more. This was a place where people not only crammed together on pews, but we put an extra rows up here. And they may or may not have been blocking every single exit in this room. I will not go on record as saying that. And not only that, but I saw people give up their seats to go back and get the crappy seats in the back. Not the rockers, those are pretty awesome. But the ones behind that, you know what I'm talking about. This is a place where we have started to turn over a dark stain in Christendom. There was a time, especially in the American church, where people paid for their pew seat. You bought your seat, and you got to sit there, and no one else did. And if you didn't show up, then that seat sat empty, because no one could sit in your pew. This is not that church This is a church that says, I will get up and I will give you my seat. We will scoot over. We will get intimately acquainted with other people in our family and those people that I don't even know, just for the sake of giving someone a seat. I have watched you do it. I have seen it. Because you live and breathe hospitality in a way that other churches haven't yet figured out. But the thing that is most powerful about this church to me is that when people are in their dark moment of need and they call, we say yes. We say yes. When a mother was having trouble with her her autistic son and could not keep him in the yard because of his condition and he was wandering out into the streets and had almost been hit multiple times and he couldn't even articulate where he belonged, they called up and they said, we're desperate. Can you help us build a fence? And we said, we'll build the whole fence. We'll pay for the whole fence. When a church member who had been battling disease for over a decade, for almost two decades, could no longer use their, their bathroom and their shower because of their physical disability, and they were desperate just to be able to stay in their home, we renovated their bathroom so that they could continue to thrive here in their home with their family. And we did that because members of our church have been faithful and good stewards. And they had seen the vision. And the vision was clear. That we give and we bless. We give of ourselves. We give of what we, ha- what we have. In order to bless. To make us a conduit of Jesus Christ. And we have. A mother reached out to us. Because her 20 something son. Was killed in a tragic accident. And she could not afford to bury him. And we did. Because. In their darkest hour, and their moments of despair, when the whole world says, there's no way, there's no way this is getting done. The church of Jesus Christ said, here, miracles happen. Here, those who think there is no way that anyone is going to love them that much. They call, and here they hear compassion and mercy, kindness and grace. Because we are the church. And more and more, the world starts to realize that the church is us, that we are part of the fabric of the church. The church isn't just a building. It's not that building over there. It's that congregation of incredible people who are just as flawed, fatally so, as Moses. Moses, the murderer, Abraham, the pathological liar, Noah, the drunkard. Samson, he's too big of a mess to even go into. Samson was a hot mess. Peter, who saw Jesus over and over again and still doubted and betrayed him. And yet, look at what they accomplished. And so when we have those moments of, I don't know that we can do this. I don't know that we can do this here. We can do anything God tells us to do anything god tells us to do we can do it and this year will be a game changer in the life of this church they tell us that in order to be a large church in the virginia annual conference of the united methodist church you have to average 351 people in worship that's what they tell us and it's not because we get some really awesome gold-plated steak knife set that says large church on it that's not why we do this But I don't think that getting to 351 is going to be the hard part. I think it's going to be breaking 300. And this year, if we launch this third worship service, that will tell us whether we're going to break 300. That will be the moment. And after that, no one will touch you. You will build bridges and you will make connections that people will wake up yearning to encounter. And so, this is the time when we look forward to the annual celebration of the birth of Jesus Christ, when we look at ourselves and go, This is a year of rebirth. We're getting ready to celebrate the birth of our Savior, and this is the rebirth of us. What will you have us grow into this year, God? Who will you have us be? And as we continue to prepare our hearts and our homes for this celebration, here in the church, we need to be asking ourselves the same thing Here I am, Lord. What would you have me be? What would you have me do? And what will you have me give to honor and glorify you this new year? There are so many things. It is limitless to what God can do through a committed fellowship of Christian disciples. And I can't wait to see. But more than that, I'm humbled to be a part of who you are and what you do. May it be so.